This is the American Military Brit. Shedding light on the realities of military life. Now, here's your host, U.S. Air Force Staff Sergeant Christopher Clark. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the American Military Brit Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk to different military members to figure out the full story about the military, and we don't just focus on the rumors, such as the Marines being crazy or the Army being stupid. We actually figure out from the people themselves what the story is with the military. So I hope you enjoy this podcast that we have for you today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the This is the American Military Brit Podcast. So the the podcast today, it's an interesting one because every single guest I've had so far I've, I've known the guest you know I've worked with them or whatever but I've actually got a guest on today that um, I mean I've never met before we only did like the email contact and the the phone contact and whatnot so um, Aaron is here today and I'll just I'll let him introduce himself so yeah just tell the people who you are and, and whatnot and what you do well, thank you for inviting me on the show. My name is Aaron Manfredi. Um, as we sit here at UNLV, I'm a graduate of the of undergrad and master's. I'm the current president of the UNLV Veterans Alumni Club, which is vets who graduated from UNLV. And um, I've been in Las Vegas uh, since 1998. Um, I came here from Albuquerque, New Mexico. So I grew up in L.A., went to high school in Raton, New Mexico, which is 15 miles from Colorado. Beautiful, gorgeous little town uh, up in the mountains, 7,000 feet elevation, a place I'll retire to here uh, very soon. And when I had graduated high school, I, you know, I experienced the big city and a lot of my friends that I went to school with have never left that small little town and, and I'll a lot of them are still there. So I knew what was out there. And so I, I wanted to make sure that as soon as I graduated, I got out of Dodge, you know, and right. could, it could always come back. And so uh, my junior uh, year, I was 16 years old and I started that process to, me and a friend of mine went in the buddy system to go in the military. And my whole family's, you know, Vietnam and World War II. And so was his and our small little town. Um, everyone goes in the military. This is kind of what we do, most of them. And I started that process and um, went, went into the Navy, and we'll talk about that here in a second, but uh, currently I'm a real estate agent here in Las Vegas. I'm a landscape um, designer, inst installer, I should say, and um, I've been very blessed with a lot of great careers, law enforcement, education, uh, been in gaming, opened up you know, the Weston Hotel here, uh, worked in restaurants and bars, uh, property management, uh, it was an airline management, I've kind of done everything, yeah. and... Um, left Vegas for a couple of years to go to Phoenix and I've um, uh, came back and been here ever since and it's home. Mm -hmm. And so I've sit on different boards, just got done running for uh, university board of regents. We didn't advance to the uh, general election, but we um, shared our mission with everyone and, um, you know, can still get some things done from behind the scenes. So I'm a big hard rebel, big time uh, military guy. And um, so thanks for having me on the show. Next, I want to ask, because obviously I don't know anything about naval basic training and, and technical training school, but one one thing I just want to start with real quick. So I cannot swim. So I remember getting to Air Force um, basic training and I asked my recruit before, I was like, is there any swimming? He's like, no, I don't think so. And I got we got to Lackland Air Force Base in Texas and I saw this big pool next to where we all like have our dorms and whatnot um, for basic training. And I was thinking, oh crap, I hope they don't throw me in some water. This is going to be bad. But I can imagine in basic training, you experience a lot of 
water training, I'm, I'm assuming. We, yeah, the Navy is, uh, had a lot of water training, probably more than, than anyone, right? Because, because it's the Navy or in, you know, the man overboard and, you know, you're, it could be in the water, right? I mean, we're around the water. So, yeah, we had a lot of people struggle with, uh, you know, me growing up in L.A. and being around the beaches. I love to swim. So, you know, well, a lot of us had swimming pools, friends. And so that was that was easier for us. But for a lot of, um, you know, um, classmates that uh, weren't around water, they you're absolutely right. They struggled. Right. And I remember... I remember two or three guys that didn't make it. They, after, you know, remedial, you know, water training and swimming that no matter what they did, they just didn't get it and they couldn't get it. And they just, uh, I, I remember three guys, they all loaded up halfway through boot camp and they got kicked out, you know, because they right. couldn't swim. So, you know, do you need to swim in, in the uh, Navy? But, you know, if you go man overboard, especially on an aircraft carrier or, or any ship, really, Obviously, your vest inflates and all that kind of jazz. But if you don't know the basics, you know, then you're going to drown, of course, right? You had to build a tread. I think treading water was the biggest thing more than anything. It wasn't like, you know, you're going to SEAL training where you had to do a million laps. It was, mm -hmm. can you tread water, keep your head above, you know, um, the water in case of emergency, I think was the biggest thing, you know. And, right. and it, that simplest task, a lot of people... Um, couldn't do it. And one of the guys that did fail, I said, Hey, what was, why, why was this such a disconnect? And he says, I never swam in my life. I didn't grow up around a swimming pool. Mm. And, um, you know, he's like, we just, I lived in a, in a not so great neighborhood. And so, um, you know, you just never been exposed to it. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, um, Navy boot camp, uh, in 1993, uh, seems like yesterday, but it's obviously been some years. There used to be San Diego, Chicago, and Orlando. Okay. All the women went to Orlando, and then uh, Chicago, you'd go to Chicago based on where you lived, right? If you were east of the Mississippi or up in that, you know, northeast parts, obviously you'd go to, you'd go to um, Great Lakes, you know, Michigan, mm -hmm. and then our Chicago, and then uh, West Coast always went to San Diego. Yeah. So when I went in July of 1993, it was actually when I graduated, five companies after us, they shut it down. San Diego boot camp for Navy was over. Right. And that really was an amazing experience because as we are marching through the base and it's gigantic, you know, there's things like empty buildings, right? Empty vehicles. And normally it's just thousands of, of boot campers. Is, um, I remember one time we were marching around for a whole week and didn't see anybody but ourselves because people are graduating and that was it. Mm -hmm. So we shut that down and, and the Navy now has everyone going to Great Lakes. It is integrated to where it's female and males. Um, right. But um, so one shot and, uh, and that's it. Yeah. You know, we, the thing about boot camp is you always tried to time it. Obviously you were, I think San Antonio, mm -hmm. very humid oh, yep. and you always try to time boot camp around the weather. Mm -hmm. And obviously they do that in Chicago, Great Lakes. You know, it's like, hey, man, go in the summer where it's humid and not winter where you're shoveling snow. We were always blessed that San Diego had beautiful weather all year round, you know. And so um, the Marines were literally on the other side of the fence, and they are okay. still in San Diego. And so we used to be out there playing basketball, and they'd be out there playing in the sand, and we'd always have our choice words. And <laughs> it, it was actually a, a, a wood fence Um they had a chain link fence and then obviously they didn't want to see each other. And they put up this makeshift wood fence that you could lean on it and it, dang, it, it you know, it could fall over if you leaned. I mean, we could get on the other side if we wanted to, but, mm -hmm. 
so that was fun. You know, we would always yell back and forth in Marines and Navy. At the end of the day, we're all we're all in it together. But um, okay, and so in in boot camp in Navy, that was a um, it was pretty cool. They actually put us in these these rooms where they would actually light a fire, oh. and they were alpha bravo charlie delta and they were based on was it electrical was it you know gas mm. and and um it's pretty cool because they had a control booth where they were controlling the fires and they were real mm. obviously it was all makeshift and um we geared up and either we were using a triple f which is to for electrical right mm. a foam um regular water and there's some other things and it that week was pretty serious it was no messing around. It was game on. A couple of guys got sent home for that one too. They were scared to go into uh, the room and put the fire out, even though it was controlled. And so, um, in the Navy, when you have a fire on the boat, um, you can imagine where how dangerous it can be. Right? Yeah. It's 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 not like there's only so many places you can go. So it's taken very very seriously. So um, I don't know if you. Have any, let me just keep going about the bouquet. I mean, it's, I mean, we well, just uh, curious about the like your technical training okay. school, like how that whole thing works. As well. So in the Navy, they call it an A school, and that is your trade school. So depending on the trade, for an example, if you want to be an air traffic controller, you have to sign up for six years yeah. because they have two years of training. Uh, a lot of guys will come out and gals will come out uh, E four. Um, some will come out E5 just out of their training. So here they are coming to the fleet. Um, nuclear, those that go nuke, um, I believe you have a uh, six or an eight-year enlistment. They, you know, they spend a lot of money on training. So a lot of people come out, you know, E4, or E5 out of their school. And when you are in the Navy, as soon as you're an E4, you're a supervisor. Mm-hmm. You are. Um, y- you can help the, the E1 through E3s out. You know, if you're polishing floors, they might say, hey, you're the – you know, you're the senior low guy, get in there. But once you make E5 in, in the Navy, you are, you're a supervisor. You are not doing right. any of that kind of stuff. So um, um, in the schooling is – and then when you go when – I, when I enlisted, it was uh, a two-year enlistment, and I actually had three years. So I did two years, and then I extended for a year, uh, almost a year. So I went in what they call undesignated. means you don't really have any control where you're going. The perk of it being, hey, we'll give you two years and obviously benefits for life, but we're not going to give you the liberty of, you know, where you're going. And so airmen, seamen, or firemen. And I chose airmen. I wanted to work on the fly deck. Obviously, Top Gun is, is, you know, why I joined the Navy and and a lot of people. So uh, when I went to – we had an airman school, and it was – as soon as you graduate boot camp, it was literally down the street from boot camp, obviously more relaxed. We did that for – we did that for 30 days and that was learning the basics of you know the flight deck and aircraft and you know all the codes and safety and maneuvering so um to prepare you for the fleet mm-hmm. and so that's what i did ours was a crash course really of, of what it was um airedales handled aircraft type stuff firemen obviously fire and then when you got your papers um you could be sent literally to anything around the world and i know some people who got some pretty crappy um letters of of um to report to it's like mm-hmm. because they were undesignated you know mm-hmm. i was very blessed to get uh assigned to a uh, aircraft carrier which is why i went in the navy and uh, was stationed in alameda which is um by oakland california okay. and so by me being from la and um essentially albuquerque new mexico 
you know, I knew that I can come and see family and I was close versus some friends, their first duty station was Japan. We'll get into your assignments now and, and kind of talk about those. Because um, you said you were on like aircraft carriers mm -hmm. for the most part, right? Yeah. When I got out of boot camp, I got papers to, we call it getting papers to the USS Carl Vinson. Okay. Uh, okay. Normally aircraft carriers are named after presidents. And Carl Vinson, I believe, was a senator in, I want to say, Indiana. Yeah. Um, 30, 38 years was on, and, and uh, was on all the military committees and uh, with huge military funding. So it was named after him. And um, that was in Alameda, California, which is a suburb of Oakland. Right. And yes, that was my first duty station. And so what's cool about that is um, they were doing uh, what we call workups, um, that is training up. Um, before we go on deployment, which is a Westpac mm -hmm. or a Mediterranean on the East Coast. So yeah. um, we were doing workups and they wanted to, in order for us to go on our Westpac, we had to get qualified, right, as as new blue shirts tying up the planes and all that. And there was probably about 12 of us and they needed us. So we had the opportunity to actually fly on the boat. Mm -hmm. And we got in what we call the the COD, which is a male, a male carrier plane it's it's nothing fancy it's real simple plane and they um so we they picked us up in san diego in uh, north island which is all where all the squadrons are and they loaded us up and we literally were up in the air and i remember looking out the window and i see this this little ship that looked like a little matchbox car mm -hmm. and i thought oh my god we're gonna how, we're gonna actually fly on that little tiny thing mm -hmm. and then as we make our way down and, and we got to land on the plane on the boat and it's over in like literally four seconds, you know, you're coming down, you hit the resting gear, it stops you. It's, and then from the time you hit that arresting gear, you were off that plane and inside within like seven, eight minutes. It's really fast. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we were, again, we were off the coast of San Diego. And so for three weeks, we were the, uh, the new boots, you know, and we, um, you know, as far as training, yeah, it's like get on the flight deck and start working. Yeah. And there's a lot going on, you know, planes are churning and burning and they, you know, they always say that working on a carrier is one of the most dangerous jobs in the world. And, and once you get up there when it's live, as we call it, you can, you can see that. You know, your head's got to be on a swivel. There's no time for games or joking. It is all business. And so yeah, that was it. Um, and then we also got to, if you wanted to, like I, I was never big in the painting. When, when the ship is docked, you know, we painted and wax floors, like all that stuff is true. We did that. Right. I, I chose to, as much as I could, to not do that and get on right next to us was Abraham Lincoln. Okay. And so I'd go on the Abe Lincoln and do some training with them there. It's like, Hey, they're getting ready for their workups. We're going to take off for three weeks. Let me go with you guys. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys didn't want to go on the flight deck to work 18 hour days. I'm like, I'd rather be there than, you know, wax in the hallway. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of that on Abe Lincoln. Uh, I went to firefighter training school in uh, Lemoore, California, um, and uh, out in the middle of nowhere by Fresno. And so we got to do high impact aircraft um firefighting mm -hmm. and we actually had you know real planes that they would light on fire and we had to go put them out mm -hmm. how to how to get um you know uh, the pilots out of the cockpit you know and all that kind of stuff and i absolutely loved it man i was right. the best two weeks 
um, and I had f- fun doing it. I love, you know, I volunteer for training and what can I do to like not paint, you know, and get me on other boats. And so we stayed busy. Yeah. And so, um, as far as our deployments, every two years, you have to do a six month deployment. And so not everyone it depends on what your job was. And we would go out to sea and we visited eight countries. Um, we always end up in the Persian Gulf, the Red Sea. Mm-hmm. We were there for, geez, I don't know exactly, but, I want to say like um, maybe 92 straight days. Mm-hmm. And I believe that after the 90th day or somewhere in there, um, they called beer day. And no matter what your age was, they would give you, they would, you got two beers. Oh, really? And they okay. were flying on all this. You got Budweiser and Bud Light. And they were, the, the, the helos were flying on pallets of beer. Okay. It's the coolest thing back then. We had roll-up cameras and, you know, got pictures somewhere. Um, or the ship would pull up next to us, a supply ship, and they just saw nothing but beer coming across. And that was pretty cool. You know, we yeah. a lot of us snuck extra beers. But, you know, we celebrated being out to sea for so long. Yeah. Uh, when we were out to sea, it was uh, very easily – when we're doing workups, it's a little more relaxed. Uh, uh, pilots are working on their hours. Mm-hmm. New pilots, we're working on our qual safety and training and trying to navigate and figure out how to do everything and cross right into, uh, you know, driving the tractors, which is parking the planes. Uh, you get promotion to being a director. And then we also have crash and salvage, which is the um, aircraft emergency, basically the fire department of the flight deck. So you, you learn how to do that and get in rotation. And so uh, to prepare for your deployment. Mm-hmm. And so when we go out to sea for deployment, it is, um, it's on, you know, and uh, all, all, all jokes aside and it's long hours and uh, terrible weather in Japan. We had 30 foot, 35 foot swells. Um, we go out in a fleet carrier is the mothership and we have you know supply ships and frigates and um you know uh, i don't think they're battleships anymore i think destroyers were in our group you'd look over and see them getting slammed with all the water you know they're, they're actually wearing harnesses and sea belts and in and, and water's like going over you know the boat and mm-hmm. we have a slow row and and so yeah we're working you know it's um it was in 1993, and so it was, I should say, spring of um, early 94, and um, I had uh, crossed the equator before I turned 18, so that was pretty cool. Okay. And um, it was late late fall, early spring, and so um, we get liberty, you know, and, and we got to go to Singapore and Japan and Hong Kong. A lot of countries do not want nuke anywhere near the land, so we had to do liberty boats. Yeah. And so sometimes it'll take you 30, 40 minutes to to get on. We had a lot of guys who stayed behind, met beautiful women, especially in Australia. Mm-hmm. One of them was a good friend and uh, didn't want to come back home. So uh, when, I, when I got out, I, I went to the reserves. I was, I was living in Albuquerque, and I did my reserve one year in Naval Air Station Dallas, Okay, which, is, which really was – it's been a reserve base – since world war ii um, or a workup base i should say and um, there was nothing going on there we would fly from El- albuquerque to el paso and go there and by the time we got offloaded we literally had a day yeah. uh, me me working on the flight deck and now being assigned to land um basically played nintendo 
for a year. <laughs> yeah. And and I, I got real tired of that because I wanted to work and I would volunteer for stuff again. I think one week and I went and mowed the grass because I wanted to work. I, yeah. I couldn't stand sitting idle. So um, they closed Dallas down. Everywhere I went, they closed it down. They closed San Diego. They closed down Alameda. They closed down Dallas. I moved to Vegas. There wasn't a, a really good reserve unit here. I'd, I'd have, I had to go to L.A. Okay. or San Diego. I wasn't willing, willing to do that drive every weekend yeah. or one weekend a month, you know, and I just was like, it just was time to get out, you know, and, and I wish I'd have stayed in. Um, and uh, that was it, you know, um, and uh, like some friends that stayed in. Um, so you want like more info on deployment stuff? Like what we do? Well, or? we won't get into that just okay. yet, but like, just to go back to the assignments, cause I'm, I'm mm-hmm. curious with, cause in the, in the air force, right. We have just a base that we go to mm-hmm. and we just, we just go on there. But like with the Navy, do you like live on the aircraft carrier or do you go yes. home after work or you? Great, okay. great, great question. So, you know, um, yes, yeah, so you could, a lot of the single guys, you know, we didn't have any you know, children. We weren't married. We just stayed on the boat because it was free. Yeah. Um, you, they would give you a housing allowance. Uh, was it, was it called BACA or whatever it is? I'm out of the loop, but, mm-hmm. um, a lot of the guys that were, uh, married with kids, right? Of course they'd give you a housing allowance and then a lot of them lived off base. Yes. And then, yeah. um, so the, when the boats docked, we are, uh, preparing it for the next deployment, which obviously is two years away. And right. a lot of the civilian contractors come on and they're rewelding and finishing stuff and all that. So, um, we, um, yeah, there was, there was guys who, you know, I remember for three months, I think four or five of us all rented a house mm-hmm. in, 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 uh, you know, in uh, Fremont, California and, and did that. So you can do that. But we, to me, the boat was convenient, you know, um, you know, parking your car and walking to the carrier from the parking lot was quite the hike. Right. Um, we didn't have cell phones back then. We had pay phones. We had probably about 50 pay phone booths lined up Mm -hmm. so for a lot of people when they got a house the convenience of a landline right parking by your front door um if i knew more about it i guess or put more thought into it i guess i probably would have done that the whole time but Mm -hmm. the core of my buddies that i hung out with we just decided to stay on the boat and then it was cool you know we had the boys on the boat and would play cards together or when we'd go out we'd roll out together you know i had my vehicle up there and so we did that but yeah you can you can live off base and then for the officers depending on your rank they had base housing hmm. so you know our base was uh very big like i was saying we had two carriers 13 ships tons of regular uh aircraft squadrons you know chin hooks and all that so um there was a lot of housing on base but usually it was for um fours or higher okay and and beautiful houses so we had that and we also had a uh like a motel six on the base okay it wasn't called that but it was the same thing and so you know the shore patrol which is the navy's version of mps would um would always come there because that's where our parties were you know Mm -hmm. we we were able to invite civilian gals and um the navy preferred that we were on base actually Mm -hmm. obviously underage drinking was a big thing and so they kept an eye on it but they would rather have us do it there than somewhere else and get in trouble Mm -hmm. and so um that was it now living on a uh aircraft carrier if anybody ever has a goes to san diego the uss midway which is where a lot of my shipmates um they decommissioned the midway and is now a museum okay highly highly recommend if you ever go to san diego you visit the uss midway it is it is a fascinating 
to see how we lived. Um, And um, so when I went to the Midway years after I got out, I um, there was a young college kid was doing the tour. And once, once he found out that I was on a boat, you know, carrier, mm-hmm. uh, very similar, um, I took over the tour and there had to been about 40 or people, 40 or 50 people. And I'm talking on the microphone and showing everyone where we lived, you know, in the birthing area, mm-hmm. uh, where I slept was <laughs> when you're, a, when you're a new E1, right, you are um, always a top bunk and, um, literally where the tail hook would hit the deck is where I slept. Okay. And, you know, when you are young and, and you always say you can sleep through anything, right? And as you get older, it gets difficult. But yeah. when that tail hook would slam on the deck and, and, and the no, the noise was, was pretty overbearing, um, you know, at first it was impossible to sleep, but you got used to it after a while, right? And right. so it kind of helped you sleep. But we, we slept in very tight quarters. Yeah, we didn't have dorms. We were, uh, you know, a, a middle bunk top and the bottom, and you, and you hoped – hygiene was a good thing with your shipmates mm-hmm. and, and sometimes it wasn't and everyone would have their dirty socks out and underwear and it got pretty disgusting and that's why a lot of guys went out and got their own you know apartments and stuff but uh, so it was um it had its challenges we all could not get up and out at the same time you know we we would always of that group would have some e4s in there and and um uh, and some E5s and obviously higher rank got out first and then, mm-hmm. you know, it followed in, but it was, uh, you know, when you're out to sea and you don't have a whole lot and guys were lonely, missing their families. We didn't have Skype. We had snail mail and all that, mm-hmm. you know, being close to each other, we, you know, we relied on each other for mental support, of course. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, and, and, um, I still talk to a lot of the guys that I lived with and we, we share those stories and, mm-hmm. you know, it was such a brotherhood about it. And, um, you know, we made it. We made it work. Everyone gets a dear John letter and upsetting. And I remember one one of my shipmates lost his mother mm. um, out to sea and couldn't do anything about it. You know, we're on our way to Hong Kong, and you know, and so um, he found out through a messenger, essentially. You know, so. But anyhow, deployments now are a lot different. You know, like I said, you got Skype. You have, um, you know, the guys now they can talk to the wives, you know, and and family like daily. You know, even you could be in, in clear across the country, and it's like you're never gone. There were there would be times where you know we wouldn't hear from anyone for thirty days, All right. and it was a form of a letter. And so, um, to me, I, I like that. You know, I knew my family was safe, right? If if you weren't getting pulled aside, everyone was safe. Okay. You know, then it was just us and the boys. But I get it. You know, guys with families, they miss the kids and all that stuff. So. Um, doing, doing a deployment now, I think in any of the branches, I even had friends that were special forces, pretty elite that were allowed to, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan with, with their phones, mm-hmm. you know, big antenna phones that were literally calling, you know, like hours away from a major fire flight, you know, fight and, and were able to communicate. And I thought, man, you're in the middle of nowhere, Afghanistan, and you can make a call. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where back in the day, you 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 know you you go on deployment and and for a whole year, you wouldn't hear from nobody. Yeah, you, know, you don't get mail in the middle of nowhere. So anyhow, but uh, that's it for deployment stuff. But lastly, I just want to kind of talk about why you uh, separated. You you kind of got into it a little bit bit there, talking about how you fulfilled your contract basically. So that was uh, that was why you. Yeah, I did a, a two-year enlistment, and then I, I extended a little bit. So when I went in, it was two years active. 
um, six years, two years active, four years inactive. Mm -hmm. And inactive reserve means that um, you don't have to report every weekend or every month. It just means that something's going down. You're the first ones to get called back, and and you have to go, right? So. I did the two years, and then an act, and then I chose volunteering to do a year of active reserve, mm-hmm. um, and thought multiple times that you know of going back in. And I look at it now, I probably should have, you know. And but anyhow, so um, yeah, once your con- contract is over, you know, you fulfilled your contract, you can be honorably discharged, mm-hmm. or you can reenlist. Yeah. And so um, that's what I did. I I did my time and got out honorably, yeah. and then you know life starts. Yeah. Yeah, was there was there like a specific moment though? Was there a specific thing that made you just want to, you know, separate, or was it just my contract ran out? You know, we, I, my shipmates that I went in, you know, years ago, and we're all you know middle aged adults now. Is that the Navy doesn't have NCOs? Does the Air Force have NCOs? Mm-hmm. Okay, the Navy doesn't, and it's probably something they really should consider, is because, you know, nobody told us we can make a career out of this. And I'm talking like five, six, seven of my buddies that we still stay in contact is that, you know, we always hear of other branches retiring at young ages, you know, and so we, uh, we didn't, we didn't know that we didn't know that you could make a career out of it. They didn't really push it. They didn't really talk about it. Again, this is before 9-11. So probably wanted us to get out. And um, so, you know, reenlistment, I, I, I did ask about reenlisting. I said, hey, if I wanted to stay in, my mom was... Um, I had cancer and I knew that I, at some point I needed to come home and take care of that. And so that was probably my biggest reason of, of not reenlisting. Uh, for me, I found out my next duty station was going to be in Yakuska, Japan. Okay. Um, I didn't have a problem being in Japan, but knowing that my mom was sick and I, that any given time, you know, um, I was going to have to be back to take care of that. And I didn't want to be clear across the you know the world right. so what is the ultimate end goal for me um that's a great question you know because i like to do a bunch of different things right. i've always had two or three different jobs you know so um we'll see you know right now i'm a contractor i do real estate and um you know uh, maybe get into corporate housing or airbnb but you know maybe get back in public service in some way um i'm not getting any younger you know so um, we'll see as you um, get into more things, as you you know get invited to more nonprofit boards, and you meet different people. There's always that you know um, you know envelope of of opportunity to open. You know what I'm saying? And so right. I'm still young. I'm 45. I'll be 46 years years old. And so um, we'll see. You know, I love military. I wish I knew more about government contracting when I was younger. Just didn't know. And um, definitely would have pursued that in a heartbeat, you know? Um, So, hey man, every day you just flip over to the card and see what it gives you. And we'll see. All right, cool. Well, yeah, just want to thank you, Aaron, for coming on the podcast. Like, very interesting insight, you know, from, like I said, I've never really spoken to many Navy people, so. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, go Navy. (laughs) Yeah.